0: Welcome to Grace Point Church Podcast. We proclaim Christ crucified and uphold him as the only hope for the fallen world. Hi everyone and welcome back to our GG reading. Remember we are looking at that book, Christ's Call to Discipleship by James Montgomery Boyce. Now we have already covered two chapters. So the first chapter was The Call to Discipleship. Then in the, the second one was in the school of Christ. And today we are looking at the third chapter, that is taking up the cross. Taking up the cross. So we're looking at page 34 to 44, and today we are attempting to do this in one go. This is how James begins. Quoting from Luke nine twenty-three to 26. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words. The son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. Luke 9 23 to 26 now at the beginning of these studies i wrote that there is a fatal of law in the professing church today a lack of true discipleship discipleship is talked about of course there are books about it particularly about what is called discipling other people words are not the problem what is lacking is the thing itself but what are we to say about this next theme The need of self denial expressed as taking up the cross. In this area, it is not only self denial that is lacking, it is an area about which we do not even speak. This would be puzzling to saints who lived before us. If they could observe us today, they would never understand how we can profess to follow Jesus and at the same time ignore self-denial. Because to them, self-denial would seem to be the very essence of what it means to be Christ's. Today, some argue about the essential marks of the church. It is customary to speak about Faithful preaching of the word and faithful administration of the sacraments as marks. To this, some would add church discipline. What a shock it would be to many who stop at this point to learn that Martin Luther, among others, considered suffering to be a mark of the church and a badge of discipleship. One of the memoranda drawn up in preparation for the drafting of the Augsburg Confession, the chief doctrinal statement of the Lutheran Communions defines the church as the community of those who are persecuted and matered for the gospel's sake. The definition seems extreme to easygoing, materialistic Christians. But it is not extreme in view of Christ's words to those whom he challenged to come after him. To this he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, as we see in Luke 9.23. This is the hard saying of Jesus about discipleship. We can perhaps handle the call to follow him, particularly if we do not think too deeply about what following Jesus Christ means. We can perhaps even handle the thought of being in Christ's school and taking up on his yoke. That at least seems only to involve hard work. But a cross, self-denial, a cross means death, death to self, and that is not an easy thought to contemplate. No one wants to die. Yet that is what Jesus told each of his followers to do daily. So we start with a subtitle here. Self-esteem or self-denial? Self-esteem or self-denial? Why do we not hear more about self-denial? It cannot be because uh, the demand to take up the cross is an isolated saying in the Bible the theme is frequent. The command to take up or bear the cross occurs five times in christ's teaching. we see it in matthew ten thirty eight matthew sixteen twenty four mark eight thirty four luke nine twenty three and luke fourteen twenty seven Some of these passages actually strengthen Luke 9.23. Matthew uh, 10.38, for instance, says, Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, my emphasis. Luke 14.27 says, Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple, my emphasis again. This last text teaches that there is no salvation apart from cross-bearing, yet it is an extremely rare matter to hear any of these texts spoken of forcefully. Walter J. Chantry, a pastor of Reformed Baptist Church in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, is an exception to this. He has written a powerful book about cross-bearing entitled The Shadow of the Cross, Studies, in self-denial. At the beginning of this book, he too notes today's neglect of these essential gospel elements and searches for explanations. One explanation is the perversion of these doctrines in the past. Past periods of a church history have witnessed fanatic births of asceticism in which Peace with God or sanctification was not to be found in cutting oneself off from the most important and normal contacts with the world. Monasticism is illustrative of that. In the early church, the first great monastic was Anthony. He lived in the desert in the area of the Red Sea, where he eventually died in AD 356 at 105 years of age. For many years, he lived in complete isolation from other people. Then there were Anchorites. These men, like Simeon Sterites, the best known, lived on top of stone pillars and spent their time praying. Stylites remained on the top of a period, pillar 70 feet feet high for 30 years until his death in AD 459. People today naturally shy away from such extreme withdrawal, but they do not note that this was not, was an aberration. At best, it was a form of world denial that, in some forms, could be a call for some Christians, though not the majority. Self-denial is demanded of all. A second explanation Chantre gives for today's lack of teaching about taking up the cross is the holiness movement, which speaks of self-denial as a step to a second work of grace. It has been popularized by books that speak about the surrendered life or the secrets of a happy life. According to this teaching, the Christian begins by simple faith, but then progresses to growth or happiness by learning to give up self for Jesus. This teaching has a striking, though generally unnoticed, similarity to monasticism in that it upholds two levels or degrees of Christianity. There is ordinary Christianity, then there is a superior Christianity that is marked by self-surrender, self-denial, and discipleship. In my judgment, the real reason why so many do not talk about self-denial and cross-bearing as essential ingredients of Christianity is that we just don't like those ingredients. We like having our sins forgiven, at least if excess sin is destroying our lives and weighing on our conscience. We like the promises of Christianity. We want to be told that God will heal broken relationships, especially if you do not have to do anything about them, uh, that he will resolve inner conflicts if it does not require discipline, and he will prosper our work. Some forms of gospel preaching actually promise prosperity. We like that, but denial, taking up a cross, suffering, we we dislike that teaching. A preacher who wants to see his church grow soon learns to stop talking about it. Instead, he tells people things that will build their self-esteem. So the cross is neglected, and professing Christians are allowed to go their own ways, live for self, and at best, miss the fullness of the gospel. At the worst, they are encouraged to think that they are saved when actually they may not be Christians at all. Saying no to self, uh, one saying no to self, one of the most important things to be said about Christ's stringent definition of discipleship in Luke 923 is that the elements he mentions cannot be separated from each other or even be made progressive steps in the Christian faith, in the Christian life. That should be obvious from the way Christ states his demand. If we had uh, if he had intended a progression, at the very least we would have expected him to put follow me first, then the matter of self-denial and perhaps lastly the matter of taking up his cross. But that is not what he does. Jesus first speaks of anyone who might want to come after him or be his disciple, then he spells what uh, that coming after him means. It entails, one, self-denial, two, taking up the cross, and three, following. Moreover, as the following verses show, if a person rejects those elements of discipleship, he may be trying to save his life and gain the world. But the result will be losing of his very self. He will be rejected by Christ when he returns in glory with his holy angels. Now, that is a quotation from that book. Now, as soon as we think about these terms, it is evident why this is true. When we think about what it means to deny oneself, we are at once brought to the radical distinction between a God-oriented life and a life of unrepentant self-seeking or sin. Self-seeking is the opposite of self-denial. It has been the essence of sin from the beginning. Self seeking caused the fall of Satan. Isaiah describes Satan's fall in the 14th chapter. He says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the uttermost heads of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the top of the crowds. I will make myself like the most high. But you're brought down to the grave, to the depths. Of the pit. The most noticeable feature of Satan's boast is the fivefold reputation of the words I will, I will, I will. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the crowds. I will make myself like the Most High. My emphasis there. This is sad about true, this is sad, but true expression of self-seeking. God had a will that included a proper given place for Satan. But Satan was dissatisfied with that. He wanted to place himself first in the universe. God replied that he would be brought down to the pit. This spirit has passed to our race through the fall of Adam. It is why the Bible describes us as self-seeking sheep. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, as we see in Isaiah 53, verse 6. It is why Peter describes unregenerate persons as those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority, as you see in 2 Peter 2.10. It is why the prodigal son of Jesus' parable declared, Father, give me my share of the estate. As you see in Luke 15 verse 12. It is why Paul described the last day saying people will be lovers of themselves. As you see in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. The opposite of that destructive way of life originating with Satan is the path of self-denial marked by the Lord himself in his submission to suffering. on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see this in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Satan said, I want my way. I'm going to displace God. I will rule the universe. God said that Satan would actually be brought low. Jesus said, I will go down in self-denial. I will abase myself in order that others, those I love, might be lifted from sin to glory. As a result, God promised that Jesus Christ would be exalted. He would be given that name, which is above every name. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord saying yes to God. But saying yes to God, but it is not only that we are to say no to self, which is what denying self is all about. We are also to say yes to God, which is what taking up the cross involves. Some speak of cross-bearing as if it means enduring the inevitable. But that is not it at all. There are all kinds of things that cannot that cannot be avoided. A physical handicap A deficient academic background, a drunken husband, a profligate wife. People sometimes refer to such inevitable things as my cross. But they're not crosses. They're just inescapable limitations, trials. Real crosses involves the will. They mean saying yes to something for Jesus' sake. Cross bearing involves prayer and Bible study. These take time and must be chosen and pursued rather than other pastimes that we might humanly prefer. Crossbearing involves the items Jesus listed in Matthew 25, that 1 to 46. That is feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, receiving the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, and visiting the one who is in prison. These are not easy easy things to do. They involve denying oneself time, money, and convenience. At times, these efforts seem utterly fruitless because the gifts are abused and the one giving them is slighted even by the one he helps. We are to continue in this anyway. Doing so is saying yes to Jesus. Cross-bearing involves witnessing. It means putting oneself out of the sick for the putting oneself out for the sake of those ones God sends into our lives, essentially cross bearing means accepting whatever God has given us, or made us, and then offering it back to Him, which is your reasonable service, as you see in Romans 12.1 in the KJV. That phrase from Romans 12 is in a passage that describes us as God's priests making sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to him. What is it that a priest offer? They offer only what they have first received. They take the gifts of the worshipper and then they offer them up. You and I are in that possession. The gifts we receive are from God. We take these gifts whatever they may be, and then offer them up to God with thanksgiving. The demands of cross-bearing. Here we see the idea of a cross itself indicates what cross-bearing involves. Walter J. Chantley, whom I mentioned earlier, presents the demands of cross-bearing. I draw on his outline. Here is what he says. The first one is the demand to take up the cross, and that the demand to take up the cross is universal. Now, in the previous chapters, when I spoke about the offer of the gospel to people of every conceivable type and background, I spoke of a universal offer. But that is not the sense in which I use the word here. The universal offer of the gospel means that the way of salvation is offered to everybody so that whoever wishes may come to Christ, as you see in Revelation 22, verse 17. You see, not all come. In fact, only those whom the Father draws come to Jesus, as we see in John 6:37 and 44. But all may. Salvation is a universal offer. When we say that the demand to take up the cross is universal, we mean something different. This demand is for all who follow Christ. So universal in this sense means that all who follow Christ and are therefore saved, must be cross bearers that is it is impossible to be a christian without self-denial the only way to avoid the cross is to follow the devil's self-seeking path and perish with him in hell chantry writes it is this most obvious aspect of our lord's teaching which has been forgotten or ignored by modern evangelism Anxious to bring sinners to life, peace and joy in the Lord, evangelists have failed even to mention that Christ insists upon denying of self at the outset. Having failed to pass on our Lord's requirement and forgetting it themselves, evangelists have never questioned whether their converts with self-centered lives are truly followers of Christ. Assuming that it is possible for a man to be self-indulgent and yet heaven-bound, Bible teachers look for some way to bring egocentric men to a higher spiritual plane. Then self-denial is taught as the requirement for a second work of grace. Those who, have, uh, those who save texts demanding a cross for the deeper life have cheated their hearers in evangelism. Without a cross, there is no following Christ. And without following Christ, there is no life at all. An impression has been given that many enter life without, uh, through a wide gate of believing on Jesus. Then a few grew, go through the narrow gate of the cross for deeper spiritual service. On the contrary, the broad way without self-denial leads to destruction. All who are saved have entered the fraternity of the cross. The second one is, the demand to take up our cross is perpetual. This point is similar to what I wrote in chapter 1, only it is stronger. Earlier I said that following Christ requires perseverance for the reason that discipleship is not simply a door to be entered, but it is a path to be followed. Having entered upon that path, the disciple proves the validity of his discipleship by pursuing it to the very end taking up the cross is like that but when jesus uses the word daily saying take up the cross daily and follow me he is saying something stronger in that the cross must be taken up afresh each day when we turn our backs on our path to follow christ that is indeed taking up the cross Having started out in that way, we must keep on. There is to be no turning back, to bury a father or a mother, to purchase a piece of property or whatever. But in addition to that, taking up the cross is also consciously to take up the self denials and opportunities for serving others that each day brings. Chantra says, bearing a cross is every Christian's daily conscious selection of of those options which we please Christ, pain the self, and aim at putting self to death. It is a teaching for the recruit, not merely for the seasoned warrior. The third one is taking up our cross is intentional. So, so far we have seen uh, the first one that... The demand to take up the cross is universal. It is for everyone who would be a disciple. The demand to take up our cross is perpetual. We do it every day. And the third one here is that taking up our cross is intentional. This is the point I made earlier when I spoke of saying no to self in order that we might say yes to God. It is implied in Christ's command. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. No one may take up the cross for you. A grandmother cannot take it up. A husband cannot take it up. Your children cannot take it up. You must do it. Furthermore, you must do it willingly. True, God must make you willing. For none of us is willing uh, for himself. But when God worked upon us so that we cherished before we now repudiate, and what we despised before, we now cherish. When he has done that, it is then of our own free will that we take up our cross and follow Jesus. The soldiers of Christ are not slaves. They are freed men and women who count his service their greatest joy. The fourth one is that taking up our cross, taking up our cross daily is actually painful. Taking up our cross daily is painful. In Jesus' day, crosses were not the beautiful, polished gold and silver ornaments we frequently see today. They were made of rough wood, crudely shaped. To pick up a cross hurt the hands. To carry it on one's back meant working the splinters of the wood into the skin of one's shoulders. There was nothing pretty about a cross, a cross hurt. So does Christian service at times. A moment ago, I wrote that Christians count it joy to be engaged in Christ's service, and that is true. Nothing must detract from that, but that joy is often found in pain, just as with Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, as you see in Hebrews 12 verse 2. The same text says that we are to run that race, having our eyes set on Christ as our example. The fifth one is that a cross is mortal. That is, it has one purpose and one purpose only, to put the crucified one to death. Death on a cross is a slow death, but it is a certain one. Death to self importance to self-satisfaction, to self-absorption, to self-advancement, self-dispendence, on and on, Death to self-interest, because you serve Christ's honour. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died for his commitment to Christ, understood this principle. He wrote, as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death we give over our lives to death thus it begins the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise god feeling and happy life but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with christ when christ calls a man he bids him come and die it may be a death like that of uh, the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Ruth's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. Jesus summons to the rich young man who was calling him to die because only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. In fact, every command of Jesus is a call to die. With all our affections and rusts, Every day, the Christian encounters new temptations, and every day he must suffer anew for Jesus Christ's sake. The wounds and scars he receives in the fray are living tokens of this participation in the cross of his Lord. Now, that other one, our eyes on Jesus. Now, the third part of Christ's description of discipleship in Luke 9.23 is the command, follow me. We looked at that carefully in chapter 1, but now the challenge comes in uh, in a slightly different way. Having spoken of self-denial and cross-bearing, which the first two points of this text present, we find ourselves looking about for some motivation that will bring us to that commitment. Knowing that the alternative is to lose our life or forfeit our very self helps, but the cost still seems very high in most cases the only thing that will ultimately get us going along this path of self-denial and discipleship is following after jesus which means setting our eyes on him as he has gone before us jesus is the model for our self-denial he is the image of cross bearing seeing this was the turning point in the life of Count Zinzendorf, the founder of the Moravian Fellowships. In a little chapel near his estate in Europe, there was a remarkable picture of Jesus Christ. The artist was a true child of God and he had painted love of Christ and the love of Christ into his portlet as few have done either before or since. Underneath it it were the lines All this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? All this I did for thee, what hast thou done for me? One day Zizidoff entered the chapel and was arrested by the portrait. He recognized the love of Christ that had been painted into the face of the master. He saw the pierced hands, the bleeding forehead, the wounded side. He read the couplets, All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? Gradually, a new revelation of the claim of Christ on his life came upon him. He was unable to move. Hours passed, as the day went, the lingering rays of sunlight fell upon the bowed form of the young nobleman, who was now weeping out his devotion to him, whose love had conquered his heart. Zizadov left that chapel a changed man. He went to work through the Molovians whose missionary interest and Christ-like service have encircled the globe. That is what moves a person to follow after Jesus in the path of denial. It is what moves one to be a Christian in the first place. Not the promise of rewards, though there are rewards or an escape from hell, though following Christ does mean deliverance from hell. We are moved by the love of Jesus for which he endured the cross. People won by that love will never cease following after Jesus. They make every effort to enter through the narrow door as you see there in Luke thirteen twenty-four. And That is the end of that chapter. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information and for past episodes, please check our website, Church.